You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. And it looks like we're live. We're going to let this stream breathe for just a second, make sure we got green check marks across all platforms. And it looks like we are, in fact, good to go. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country, and welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and colleague. He is your Denver Broncos insider and Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, what's up, my dude? How are we doing today? I'm doing really good. Super excited. Going to be out on the ocean tomorrow trying to catch some halibut. So hey. excited for that. Hey, man, I'm just excited to be out on the boat. The whales are out, man. It's just it's just going to be a fun time, man. I'm That's, super excited to go out. That sounds like way more fun than what Except I'm we have to go out a homer. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm's not going to like that, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's going good today. It's kind of a somber day. Everybody, we know uh, today is, in fact, 9-11, and we know that, you know, 19 years ago, 3,000 Americans, and actually not not only Americans, people from all over the world, men, women, children lost their lives on this fateful day, one of the, the greatest tragedies in American and also the world history, you know, so c- keep everybody in your thoughts and prayers today, especially, and and go out and, and give give your friends a hug and, and say, I love you. Don't leave I love you left unsaid today, just because you never know. September 10th, 19 years ago, 3,000 people had the dinner with their families for the last time, and they're gone forever, and life is life is not to be taken for granted and don't leave anything ever left unsaid. You never know what could happen in life. But anyways, not to, to, to bog that down. Just wanted to throw that out there really fast guys. Again, this is the Dove Valley deep divers podcast brought to you by mile high huddle powered by overtime media and sponsored by uh, sportsbetting.com and their $1 million football pick them giveaway. Uh, go to sportsbetting.com forward slash football dash pick them to enter into the $1 million giveaway, make your picks, make your bets, have fun doing so. And if you, if you pick, I think it's every game, right. Or something like that. Uh, you, you actually entered in to win a million dollars. Now, today, guys, we're going to go over a couple of really interesting things regarding the Broncos, specifically on the, the defensive line and what the Broncos can do to overcome the loss of one Von but, Miller. But first, guys, football's back, man. Football is back, <laughs> man. And, and I tell you what. My prediction of Clyde Edwards Hilaire being like a, oh. a front runner for the rookie of the year, it's, it's absolutely true, guys. They, they gave him 25 carries last night. 25, he never even he never caught a football. 25 carries last night, 138 yards and a touchdown. Absolutely amazing out there. It's so great to have football back, but I really, really wanted him to be wearing orange this year. So bad, man. It was awful. Ugh. <laughs> man, you had to bring up you had to bring up my guy, man. Uh, um, guys, if the stream is skipping, just refresh. That typically helps when I jump in when watching and it's skipping. It's just refreshing typically helps. Um, so just just try that. If that doesn't work, then I I don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, man, like you know, the biggest thing when what little bit I watched of the game, we don't have cable, so I wasn't able to watch majority of it. Is I can't believe people actually were talking that the Chiefs taking him was a bad pick. Yeah. I, I really can't. They were re- at that point, I think they had like 19 of their 22 starters set to return. 20 of their 22 starters. And they, well, lost- I think at the time it was 19 because they hadn't, they didn't bring Breland back yet. Oh, that's right. Okay. But they had 19 of 20 or 25 starters. Well, no, it was 22. Yep. 19 or 20. So it was more than, it would have been more than that if you had special teams. But, anyways. They had the majority of their starters returning. When you have that luxury and you just won the Super Bowl, you can afford to take a running back that has as much potential as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire does at the end of the first round. You can. It's perfectly fine. At some point, I understand positional value, blah, 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 blah. But at some point, the value that the player brings and that player's potential outweighs positional value. That was the case with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to kill it this year for the Chiefs. He fits into that scheme amazingly. like, And it's sad because he went to the Chiefs. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, those receivers, they're going to take so much attention. Travis Kelsey, they take so much attention away from him, and then you still have to figure out how to handle him. He 
like we there was one run last night. He got in for a touchdown. His ability to stop on a dime and get going again is outstanding. It's it's elite entering the NFL, and he flashed that multiple times from highlights that I saw from it last night. One touchdown run in particular, and Denver's got to face him twice a year, man. That's the saddest thing. Denver has to face him twice a year. The the bad thing, and, and going back to what you're saying about positional value and the the potential that the kid brings, you want to talk about a perfect scheme fit too. Andy Reid and the, the the West Coast system they run there, heavy screen action, a lot of stuff that they do with the dump offs to the running backs, uh, the inside zones that they like to run. You could not have asked for a more perfect marriage. But this is a Chiefs podcast, guys. Sorry, just had to go out there and throw that out. This is a Denver Broncos podcast, and there's a lot of stuff going on with the Denver Broncos. We have especially a lot on- to talk about. There is a lot to talk about, especially on the defensive line. Obviously, Von Miller out for the season, potentially. Uh, there is there is hope, maybe. It's a sliver of hope. I wrote about it earlier this week at milehighhuddle.com. Um, just a sliver of hope that he could potentially return at the end of the season if the Broncos were to make like a, a postseason push in, like, say, week 12, 13, 14 area, just depending on how he recovers. But still – it's life after Von Miller right now, at least if for week one and at least until December. So what are the Broncos going to be able to do? And Eric actually has a lot of very good information for you guys. But not only that, and this is another aspect I want to get into just really quick before we go there. Benjamin Albright on Broncos Country Tonight last night actually said something that really kind of piqued my interest and it really got me thinking again. Bradley Chubb right now coming back from that ACL tear. ACL tear in week four of last year. He's not even a full year removed from that. Having some struggles right now in in practice. Not necessarily struggles as far as play goes, but with soreness. and He was full go today. He was full go today. That's a a good thing. But there is speculation that he – obviously he's going to be on a pitch count to start the season, but there is speculation he might not be good to go on Monday night. He'll play. He'll play. Well, if – Regardless, if he doesn't, what are the Broncos going to be able to do? Eric, go ahead and pull up your graphic here and kind of just run it well, down with what we've got we get, for last before year. Before we get to that, I want to grab this from Stu. Stu yes. $49.99 donation. Thank you, Stu. Thank you so much. And definitely in remembrance of 9-11, as on said, today is, is a tragedy and something that we will never forget. And it's something that, to this day, I can still remember exactly where I was. Yep. I mean, I was in Alaska, but um, I, I was nine, year old, nine years old, and it all – it all happened while I was still asleep and waking up to your mother crying and not understanding it, it was hard. And it's still something that's very hard to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Stu, for your donation. Yeah. Thank you, Stu. That, that means a lot, man. And always never, ever forget what happened that, that day. Never. I'll never forget it. Um, anyways, guys. So Eric, I want to, I'm going to actually pull this up on my screen too. So I'm going to, uh, Bawana, if you see anything interesting in the chat, make sure you pull that up for us, please. Um, but just to, to start this off, guys, up in the blue here, this is the starting base 4-3 under defense that Vic Fangio deployed last season. Obviously, you can see Bradley Chubb on the left side of your screen, Von Miller on the right side. Uh, this is what it would have been with uh, Von Miller in tow. Now, yeah. Von Miller obviously not going to play it. How does this change? So basically, as you're looking at it, I mean, the top one, the biggest thing is that people are stuck on the fact that Vic Fangio's defense is a 3-4. It's very easy to describe it as that because he has two rushers, the two outside rushers that are in a two-point stance. That's very typical in a fourth in a 3-4. But in reality, it well, it's a 4-3 under. In reality, that's what his scheme is. That's how his scheme works. It's a 4-3 under. And... Um, losing Miller, I mean, he's the strong outside linebacker in his 4-3 scheme. Chubb is the what's considered the RDE or the RD, the right defensive end. Because just remember, both sides of the ball, it's based off of how, where you are when looking at the ball. So your right defensive end goes against your left tackle, and your left or your left defensive end goes against the right tackle or the yeah the right tackle. Yeah, so just remember that. So this top one, as he said, it's the base basic form of Vic Fangio's defense, which we don't see a whole lot of. Last year, we saw a lot more of Harris kind of here in the left guard, where right next to where Casey is, that B-gap left guard area. Then we saw um, Jones or Wolf or another pass rusher was sitting there as the right guard um, in that B-gap right guard area. So that that's basically the nickel, and we'll I'll get to nickel definitely here in a little bit. But the biggest thing is with Miller leaving, I saw somebody ask why they didn't bring, why didn't didn't sign anybody. 
Um, the reason why they didn't sign anybody outside to come in and compete this week is depending on when it was. When did, when did Miller get hurt again? Uh, Wednesday. Tuesday? Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Excuse me. Tuesday, Tuesday night. So Tuesday night, by the, by the time they got somebody signed, it would be Wednesday. But then they have two days of testing that they have to do before they can join the team. So realistically, you're looking at Friday or today, today or tomorrow for them to get in, Friday or Saturday. That's not enough time to pick up the defense. That's not no. enough time to have an impact for the game on Monday night. So with thinking about that, I started thinking, what could Denver do to help ease the loss of Miller and with, without having to move so much around. So I came up with this, basically going to a more traditional 4-3 under look, whereas you move Chubb from the uh, from the right outside linebacker spot or the weak outside linebacker position, whichever one you want to refer to it as, and moving him over to the strong outside linebacker spot, basically where Miller plays, basically taking over that role, doing the same thing he does on his side, but just off that side, and inserting Jones where Chubb is in a three-point stance. Um, three-point stance, two-hand stance, that's basically three is you have your hand under your two is you're standing up. That's the difference. Three points of contact on the ground, two points of contact on the ground. So that's what I came to is that's probably the best and easiest way without causing so much change because you still have your base look out there. You still have your strong outside linebacker. You still have your Artie out there. You still have Casey, Purcell, and Harris in their normal positions. None of that changes. The only difference is, is you are probably getting – a another defensive lineman out there. And one reason for this too is they're playing the they're put they're playing the Titans. Derrick yeah. Henry. And I know I know it'd be even easier to just put Malik Reed in there. But Malik Reed, he's a little bit smaller and he's a little bit weak against the run. So I want to go I, I I personally would want to go a little bit bigger. That's one reason why you go with a more traditional four defensive lineman with a strong outside linebacker look. Um, kind of think of this as the scheme under with Jack Del Rio. That's yeah. basically what it is. Where Jack, where um, Von Miller was playing that strong outside linebacker. It was a four-three front, but it was a four-three under. Like that's what it was. Typically, yeah. when you have a pass rusher like Von Miller out there, and you're have you're having the pass rushers like they are, it's typically going to be a four-three under. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Is just going in and just putting your sides out there to try and defend against. Uh, Derrick Henry tried to capitalize on the weak interior offensive line that the Titans have because they brought in Roger Saffold and they have Nate Davis. Between the two of them last year, they allowed 14 sacks. Shelby Harris knows Nate Davis quite well and kind of beat up on him a little bit last year. Yeah, he did. Um, actually had two sacks that game against Nate Davis. So, um, so yeah, that's basically it. That's the, that's the first way. That's the base look. Obviously, we have some alternate choices. We have some nickel, and we have a NASCAR stuff that we'll talk about here in a second as well. And, I mean, guys, we're just getting started. We have a lot to talk about, as I said. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to put put them in the chat. Lance, I'll let you kind of go off for a little bit. I want to uh, just go in and say hi to everybody in the chat that's joining us today. Again, this is the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm Lance Sanderson with Eric Trickle. Uh, just want to say hi to, to Jim. Click those little thumbs up. That's right. Uh, Peter Middleton over in Turkey. What's up, my dude, Poppy in the house? Uh, Kenneth Booker, Kevin Peterson. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us today. Now, Eric, uh, just a, to kind of rebound on something that you had said, especially with the with this base look, with Mike Purcell playing in the A-gap between the, the, the center and the right guard, you're playing, what, a one technique there? So you're going to have him as a gap shooter and trying to go in and stop the run. Mike Purcell, ladies and gentlemen, was the best nose tackle in the NFL last year in terms of run stopping. So, and he also did a very good job against the, against the Titans and holding Derrick Henry to what was it like, like 32 yards or 28 yards or something like that in that game that the Broncos actually shut the Titans out um, and displaced Marcus Mariota and, and brought in Ryan Tannehill. But Mike Purcell here is the biggest thing. And that's probably the first guy you're going to see taken off the field in obvious passing situations. But Mike Purcell is just so good against the run. Like I said, the number one rated run stuffing nose tackle in all of football last season. And he also had the highest run stop percentage of any nose tackle that played, or actually any interior defensive line that played over 200 snaps, 14.1 run stop percentage. So this is a great way. The biggest thing that I know that I'm going to take away from this here is how you have Shelby Harris lined up here. And just explain to me why you have Shelby Harris in between Mark Purcell and, and Bradley Chubb here. Well, on top of the fact that he's going to be taking over, actually, 
I can't remember if it's been confirmed or not, if he's playing that side or not, or if he's just saying his side in case he's taking over Wolf. I thought I saw somebody say that Casey's taking over Harris, Harris is moving over to where Wolf was. Um, whatever the case may be, is the reason why I'm moving Harris over to the, the right side B gap and between Purcell and Chubb is because Harris isn't good against the run. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he's, he really isn't. Um, so that's a big reason. I mean, you're putting him behind a pretty good um, run defender in Bradley Chubb, and you're putting him between an excellent run defender in Mike Purcell. Meanwhile, on the other side, Jones, he's a little bit better against the run than Harris is. Casey is solid against the run. And then you have Johnson, who's great against the run. Yeah, so it's just kind of basically balancing out the weaknesses a little bit. Two solid defensive linemen in front of an elite um, linebacker as well, and compared to four guys on the other side, um, a, one elite run defender, one good run defender, and then two guys that are not good or whatever. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Although here at Mile High Huddle, we know that Broncos country is not a geographic location, but rather a state of being. For those located in the state of Colorado, there's $1 million up for grabs in the SportsBetting.com Pro Football Pick'em Contest. What's amazing about SportsBetting.com's Pick'em is that it's absolutely free to play. I can vouch for this because just a few minutes ago, I hopped on SportsBetting.com and entered the contest, made my picks, and it was not only easy, it was fun. All you have to do is make 16 picks against the spread and 16 over-under picks in the NFL's Week 1 slate of games. If you get all your picks correct, you'll walk away with $1 million. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, and here's the kicker. SportsBetting.com is guaranteeing a $10,000 prize pool to the top five finishers with the first runner-up getting five grand. Not a bad consolation prize. It's free, easy, fun, and you could walk away with big bucks if you get all your picks correct. Enter the $1 million contest at sportsbetting.com slash pick'em dash football. That's sportsbetting.com slash pick'em dash football. Uh, one thing else I, I want to offer into here is kind of the alignment here with Draymond Jones and Jarrell Casey on the, the left side of the offensive line. So speaking to your your techniques that we talked about a few weeks ago, you have Jarrell Casey here in that A-gap probably playing a three technique, a three or a four technique, and then Draymond Jones probably playing a seven technique. So they're going to be actually shaded more towards the gap than head up on the left guard and the left tackle. So they're going to slide inside towards Mike Purcell just a little bit to kind of close up that a gap. Cause if you look at it the way it is with, with the spreadsheet here, that a gap is wide open. And it looks like you're going to be able to just blow holes over, all over the place, but you got to yeah. shade everybody over just a little bit. So it's not going to be direct head up and there's not going to be a huge gap between the center and the left guard where you're going to be able to just pave, pave open running lanes there. So just kind of take that into it now. Yeah, one thing on that point is it's very hard to sh- kind of show the shading of off for the defensive lineman here, because Purcell he's in the a gap, but he's going to be a little bit more on the shoulder of the center. Casey's going to be a little more on the inside shoulder of the guard. Jones is going to be a little bit more on the inside shoulder of the left tackle. It's not head up like it shows, but it's something that's without spreading it out wider. It's rather difficult to really get that hit home with that. Right. Now, there is one thing that I want to kind of bring up into this, and especially in that base defense, with if it's not Draymond Jones going to play there, what do you think about inserting Jeremiah Tauchu there, who's actually pretty good against the run? He, can, he has the size to be able to play at that seven technique. He can play with his hand in the dirt. He can stand up if he has to and rush off the edge like that. Jeremiah Tauchu, especially against the Bills, he did really well stuff in the run coming towards his side, playing in that seven technique. Is Jeremiah Tauchu going to be the guy that might see the first reps there, or do you really want Draymond Jones being there and taking away from the interior rotation and the pass rush ability that he has playing in the in the three technique in between the, uh, the center and guard? Well, I think that with Denver keeping Demarcus Walker and them having McTelvin Ajim, I think they'll be fine if they take away a little bit from the rotation. But adding to that is you can still insert Malik Reed and Jeremiah Tauchu into this and still keep, give your defensive lineman rest. That's part of the reason why I like going to this kind of this front with it. And main main reason why is that why I like Chubb moving over for Miller is because you can still, without much changes to the inside, you can pull Jones out, you can put in Jeremiah Tauchu. And for me is, and somebody who said that you don't really replace Von Miller that's true. Yep. You just got to find the best way to limit the impact of the loss of him. And that's what the whole goal is. That's what teams do all the time when they get when they suffer a major injury. So with 
Jeremiah Tauchu, you said it. He's a better run defender than Malik Reed is. He's a little bit stronger at the point of attack there. So I, I would be relying on him a little bit more against the Titans, mind you. This is big reason why is obviously Derrick Henry. He's the he's the powerful run powerful runner, probably the most powerful runner there is in the NFL right now. So that's the big big reason why is you can go to this four defensive lineman with Bradley Chubb, but you can also pull Jones out. A Tauchu's in. You can move Chubb over for Jones and insert Reed. And you want to put Reed on that that side, that left side against the right tackle, because that's where he actually did better at last year compared to playing on the left side against yep. the um, le- or the right side against the left tackle. So you kind of want to do that. It's just adds to the rotation that you have, really, instead of taking more away from it. So that's the biggest thing is that just well, it takes away from the defensive line may seem like it anyways. It really doesn't. Kenneth Booker coming in here with a really good point. And I, I want to just kind of bring this up to you. I think we should do fine against Henry if we have a gang tackle mentality. Nothing makes me more angry than when one goes to make the tackle and the rest just watch. That will turn into a long TD. And especially against a guy like Derrick Henry, a big, you know, bruising running back. He's a missed tackle machine. I totally agree with that. And just the way that we, that Eric, you have this lined up, if I'm understanding everything that you're saying here, and I, I pretty well do, if everybody else is understanding here, the way that you have it stacked out, and and flooding that that right side of the offensive line where Derrick Henry actually does really well running between tackle and guard. You have Mike Purcell and you have Bradley Chubb in the base defense with Josie Jewell, who does a really good job of scraping through the trash. He's very intelligent and he does a good job as far as a tackler as well. Um, actually had one of the one of the higher uh, tackling efficiency percentages of the of the linebacker core in the AFC West. So that game tackling mentality right there with the, with the four guys coming off of that, that right side of the, the offensive line, I understand completely. And that's probably a, a big spot right there is as to a reason why you did that. Yeah, that definitely is. And I see some comments in the chat that I want to get to and just kind of address. Um, but real quick, I'm trying to pull something up. All right, here we go. To just kind of talk about, and the first comment that I want to talk about, well, hello, William. Thank you for joining us all the way from Indiana. Hey, You're, state of being, man. State of being. That's it. That's the Broncos country is not a geographical location. It is a state of being. And if you're from Indiana in the heart of Indianapolis Colts territory, then yeah, absolutely. State of being. What's up, dude? How you doing? And then, but the, one of the comments that I really want to is from Jody Moncrief. It says, Jones is better wide than inside. And that's actually not true. Um, he had all of his sacks from last year that came from when he was playing either three tech or zero one technique. And all of his stops also came from inside. He was actually worse when he was playing out wider than the three tech, uh, much four tech, five tech, all those things. And he only played, hold on, I have the number here, um, a total of 14 snaps when he was out wider than a five technique. So. They obviously they don't want to they don't want to use them outside. They want to use them inside, which that is one concern here because well I mean I guess that left tackle that would be the five tag spot technically, but it'd be more of a uh, a five I or a four I um, that you'd be using him at. But yeah, he's he's better out inside than he is outside. Always has been. Even in college, he was better than that. Um, and then Kenneth Booker also says I played safety and I love to make cleanup tackles. Man, nothing gets my blood flowing more when watching college football college prospects. And I'm seeing a safety jump in there and get and bang when stopping the run. And actually, and don't get me wrong, that I, I was a miss for me on my part. But that was actually one thing that I didn't see when I studied Minka Fitzpatrick. There was a lot of times he actually held back a little bit. And it was one reason why I, was a, I, I didn't hate him, hate him, hate the prospect. But I was a little bit uh, more worried about him than others. And then there was one more comment here that I got to look to find. I, I got one really fast. It's a really good question from our Facebook audience from Andy Rock Lovato coming in here. He says, hello from Kansas, uh, 9-11-01, respect. Absolutely, man, never forget. Uh, is Miller's loss or Sutton's loss more bigger for the Monday night game? I believe it may be Sutton's loss that may be bigger if we win or lose. I still think Denver will win only because what a visiting team must go through in the times we're living in. Go Broncos, win all year with a bunch of emojis there. Um, <laughs> the the one thing that I want to say here is the outlook of Cortland Sutton's injury as compared to the one Von Miller sustained. Obviously, though, Miller is going to be out for the season, um, or at least the majority of the season, in a very best-case scenario. Uh, Cortland Sutton is actually day-to-day right now. Um, he was held out of practice to 
yesterday, I think, and that, or no, held out of practice today or limited purchase in, in practice today. Um, I mean, it sounds like he's a game time decision, but the, uh, everything that I'm hearing from listening to the, the guys at Broncos country tonight, one, four, three, the fan, he's obviously a grinder. He's a gamer. He wants to go out and he's going to go play. He might get a shot and be able to go that AC sprain that he has the AC joint sprain. He has is, is not nearly as severe as it could be. Um, but the biggest thing here with that, Eric, is what is the pain management with, with Cortland Sutton? And is he actually going to be able to play? Because AC joint sprain, man, that's that's where you lift your head, your hands above your head. That hurts a lot, okay? So, and, it like, is he going to be able to tough it out and play, or do the Broncos want to take this with just a little bit of caution and say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to sideline you just a little bit, sideline you for week one, get you ready to go on week two, and we'll just kind of roll it out and see what we can and not only that is one big factor that I think Denver is facing is what are the chances of making it worse? Yeah, that's another big thing. Exactly. You've, you've already I, got a sprain. It's already weakened. So if he, do, if he does take another awkward fall and it's not like if he's not ready to actually play and it does turn into like, a, say, a dislocation or something like that, that uh, that's six, eight weeks. Yeah. So I, I don't think that Sutton will play today. It seems it's been described to me as a long shot that he plays and highly unlikely. But to answer your question, Andy, um, I think Miller is the bigger loss. And the biggest reason why is there's just so many more options to do to replace, well, to limit the lack of Sutton on the offense. Um, They have a lot of weapons. I mean, Jerry Judy, KG Hamler, I know they're rookies and unproven really. But they can step in and help. You have Deshaun Hamilton, who I guess had, who everything I've heard has had a killer training camp. Tyree Cleveland, who had another killer training camp. Then you can get in more tight ends involved. You can get that. You can use two running back sets a little bit, motion one out wide with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay there, or even Royce Freeman, who does well outside as a receiver in the passing game. Um, you can put Noah Fant out in the slot. You can put him out wide, create all kinds of mismatches with the defense bait with Sutton out. And again, like I said, with Miller is you don't replace that kind of player. You just kind of limit the impact of them. And that, I think, as I said, is that's just easier to do on offense than it is on defense with a pass rusher like Von Miller. Yeah. The, the biggest thing here is Von Miller to me, obviously that, like you said, is, is the bigger loss here. You're talking about a hall of fame player here guys. And yeah, he may be 31 turning 32, I think is what he is, but you don't replace the effectiveness of a guy that you literally have to like change your, your offensive scheme around. And as a proven guy like that, yeah, he had a down year last year, down year in quotations. Let's just use that because he was still very effective at getting after the passer. He may not have been able to get home on a frequent basis. He only had eight sacks last year, not double digits. Like we're used to seeing with him. He still was like the second most efficient pass rusher in the NFL last year. Like he yeah. does a really good job. So, and yes, as you, as you very clearly stated, the, the Broncos have a lot more options. Obviously Tim Patrick is going to be the guy that slides over and takes over for, for Cortland Sutton in the immediate thing. And Deshaun Hamilton had a really good camp. Jay, Jerry Judy is going to be the guy, but the one that I'm really intrigued about is Tyree Cleveland and how he fits in, especially just because of the athleticism he brings and the, the ability to take the top off of the defense and where, where Deshaun Hamilton does not have that ability. He's not a guy that's going to take the top off of the defense. He's going to work better in the intermediate and getting open that way. Tyree Cleveland with his speed and athleticism, he can take the top off of a defense and that might be a better piece to put in there and replace for Cortland Sutton than a Deshaun Hamilton. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And additionally is, I think it was today that Pat Shermer met with or had a Zoom meeting with everybody, and he said that Tyree Cleveland is an ex or Z receiver. He's an outside receiver. He's a boundary guy. So that's one way that you can use to really replace him. I think Deshaun Hamilton's a little bit more on the inside. And Todd Anderson comes in. He says that Sutton will probably play. Um, let's just say with every conversation I've had with people within the organization, I would be extremely surprised if he plays. Man, that really sucks for my fantasy football team. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kenneth, uh, next time. Uh, yeah, Kenneth Booker who comes in and says, I wouldn't play Sutton. Tim, Tim Patrick should play. And, and that's that's the way that I would lean just because you have, it is a long it's, you have six other receivers. You have 16 games and you need Cortland Sutton to be available in, in as many yeah. as possible. And if, if he does go out there and get himself hurt even more, um, 
then he misses six or eight games because of a dislocation or a rotator tough care terror or something like that. Like it's uh it, that would be a, a massive blow at that point, and probably the death the death toll on the Broncos opener of the season. Like that, you really you can miss Cortland Sutton for one game. You can't miss him for eight. Yeah, and getting back to this before we get back to your guys's questions and everything, I, just to I finish wanna, up cover. I want I want to do something really fast. We haven't gotten to our matters of business, guys. Once again, this is the Dove Alley Deep Divers podcast. You guys can follow us on Twitter. Follow me at Sanderson MHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle. Guys, uh, if you get a, if you're while you're at it, uh, follow at DVDD underscore pod. It's the easiest way to keep in touch with what we've got going on at the the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Follow at Mile High Huddle for instant news and analysis, uh, film articles, opinion articles, uh, breakdowns on your Denver Broncos. It's, uh, and honestly, it's the easiest way to keep in touch with what's going on with the entire podcast network. Uh, building the Broncos, Mile High Insiders, the Huddle Up podcast, obviously as well. Um, if you guys are financially able to do so, just softly push you towards the, the huddleuppod.com. That's the merch the merch store. Get yourself a hat or a t-shirt, face mask, a hoodie, anything to keep your fancy. And then if, if you're not in a position to be able to do something like that, uh, the three easiest things that everyone can do, everybody should be should be doing this by now, is subscribe wherever you're watching, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch. Um, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you share, you see. And if you love it, share it. So getting back to the to what we have here, the the main meat of our conversation tonight is underneath your, the new base that I'm I'm um, what's the word I'm looking for um, projecting. Yeah, projecting. Uh, there's also an alternate. The basically the only difference here is that you keep Chubb in his spot and put Jones over as a in a three point stance against the right tackle instead of obviously moving them. Less movement around for the defensive players, so just a little bit easier to pick up. But the biggest thing, obviously, is the nickel and their NASCAR packages because Denver last year was in these so often, so much more than their base. This is actually the important aspect of it is when you're in your nickel, you got to be able to still be able to defend the run. And as much crap as I give Mark Barron for his play and coverage, he's at least solid against the run. So in your nickel, he's your coverage linebacker, so he's going to be out there for it. And Johnson, you have your in my opinion, the better two run defenders out there. I think that Baron is a little bit better than Jewel in that regards. Um, and then you're just going here. I mean, obviously you pull out Purcell. That's because you're going nickel. You want to get after the quarterback a little bit more. It's a 4 2 six, right? 4 2 one, four, two, five, sorry. 4 two, five, yeah. Yeah. And so you want to get after the quarterback a little bit. So you can have Casey. He's working the A-gap. That's something that he does very well. Ajim, he's working the A-gap as well. The shoulder putting more strain on the interior offensive line. Now, I ta- mentioned how Roger Saffold and Nate Davis of the Titans are just not very good. Their center, he's solid, but he can't make up for the issues that both of those guards have next to him. So that really puts the strain on the guards in the interior, which is really going to put strain on Ryan Tannehill when he can't step up into the pocket. You do lose your pressure off the edge, which is where Jones and Harris really will have to step up. They'll have to shoot that B-gap and make it so Ryan Tannehill can escape to the outside. Um, Jones here, I think that he can do that very well. I do have my concerns about Harris doing that. Um, That's my biggest concern when you look at this nickel front. And you can also just pull out Harris here and insert Chubb. Flip Jones over to where Harris is at and put Chubb where Jones is. You have a little bit more options there with this. I mean, you have a lot more options with the other one too. So you just can do multiple different things from this and still have your standard for – 425 that you want um, that Fig Fangio likes to run. Then you have your NASCAR package here. This is obviously you're going to get after your quarterback. It's a, instead of a 425, it's really a, a 245. Um, Ajima Jones, they're shooting the A gap. That's something that Jones did extremely well last year. That's where all of his sacks came from, was playing in this spot. Except, and then Ajim, also he projects very well to do here because of how quick he is off the snap to yeah. shoot that gap, put the strain on those guards again. That's the whole point here. You want to strain those guards. The tackles, they're pretty solid, so inside's where you got to win at. And then Chubb and Reed, they're going to put the strain on the tackle on the tackles outside. I think that Reed versus Dennis Keller, Kelly is a good matchup, and this is obviously a pass-obvious situation, third and longs, things like that, where Derrick Henry kind of becomes less of a factor as a runner anyways. Um, and then Barron, I think he's a good matchup against uh, Derrick Henry in coverage here um, just because he can hit pretty well. And then Johnson, I mean, you have the option of blitzing Johnson. So, again, you just have a lot more options here. It does suck that your NASCAR package doesn't have Miller 
I think this is where the loss of Miller hurts the most is your NASCAR package because uh, Jeremiah Tauchu, he's just not a good option for your NASCAR package. He's not no. the fastest, most athletic guy, and that's what Miller is. So you, you, you just lose that element, and Reed isn't quite on the level that Miller is. Um, I mean, you can do multiple different things with the defensive lineman here, but basically, again, is you want your quickest guys out there. Jones and Ajim, they're your two quickest interior offensive linemen, at least the m- most consistent interior offensive linemen. Demarcus Walker, he has had his moments over his career, but he lacks any kind of consistency. That's why last year after he got hurt, he still found his job um, being on the bench and replaced by Draymond Jones. Yeah, it's not going to surprise me to see Demarcus Walker be a game day inactive for the majority of the season once again. Like, yeah. honestly, let's let's just be real here. A, a couple things to add here. Um, the, one of the biggest things here is uh, Bradley Chubb going against Taylor Decker on at the left tackle spot. Or uh, Taylor Lewan. Lewan. Yeah, Taylor Lewan, who had a absolutely atrocious year last year. Like he missed he missed four games last year and gave up more sacks and more total pressures and almost had as many holding penalties as Garrett Bowles. Like this is a prime time matchup for Bradley Chubb. The problem is Bradley Chubb's going to be on a pitch count. So you're going to have to take advantage of those opportunities while you still have them. And Taylor, uh, Taylor Lewan, he's a good power versus power kind of a player, but Chubb is, is unique in that aspect because his speed to power and the way that he uses so much leverage, I think that he's going to be able to get a chance to get underneath Taylor, uh, Taylor Lewan a couple of times and probably force, force a, a couple of errant throws from Ryan Tannehill, man. Like that, that's the biggest thing. Now, secondly on this, Talk about some hand fight in the middle of that that nickel that NASCAR package. Draymond Jones has absolutely amazing hand technique, and uh, and McTeldon and Jim, same thing. We're talking. You're going to see some guys karate chopping and, and batting guys around. There's a lot of hand technique in that NASCAR package. I really like Malik Reed. Um, the one biggest thing that I wanted to kind of bring up to, to everybody today is just the role of Malik Reed this year. And uh, from everything that we've heard coming out of training camp, he's had a monster camp going off the right side. Yeah, think, Just, think, just throw it out there is real quick. The word I got about Malik Reed is that he was the second best pass rusher for the Broncos. Wow. I know I came in and I commented on that with yeah. um, on Tuesday with, during building the Broncos. And Nick was saying about how he feels like edge rusher. No, he was the second best pass rusher behind Von Miller and just slightly ahead of Jarrell Casey. So I've, I have big expectations for Malik Reed this year when it comes to getting after the quarterback. Well, the, the biggest thing here is the way that – and I talked to you about this before we went live, so uh, I want your kind of take on this as well. Uh, with Malik Reed last year, his struggles in, in the running game, playing with his hand in the dirt at times and playing that – the filling in for Bradley Chubb, that's not what he's like capable of doing. He doesn't have the size or the strength to be able to hold up in the run at the point of attack like that, at least where Jeremiah Tauchu does, and obviously Bradley Chubb because he's so good at doing that. Where Malik Reed is the best is coming off the edge on uh, at a two-point stance and being a knifing defender where he can cut in between guys and make plays in the running game that way. But the way that they're going to play him here in that Vaughn Miller role where he's going to be outside of the offensive tackle and playing that nine technique, potentially even outside of a tight end as well, where he can use his quick first step and his quick speed to get after the passer, Malik Reed could have a really good year this year because much like what, the, what we saw with the Broncos and Shelby Harris last year in the first four games of the season where they miscast him so badly as a run defender at the nose tackle position, the Broncos mis- miscast Malik Reed playing that seven technique where Bradley Chubb typically plays. To get him in a role where he's actually suited and capable of playing on a consistent basis, this is a huge pickup for the Bron- like a huge move for the Broncos. And I'm kind of excited to see where Malik Reed like what he does this year. Like I, I want to see that growth. And from everything that we're hearing. He's more confident in his first step. He's after the passer all the time. And take it with a grain of salt. I mean, we're talking about him going against Elijah Wilkinson and uh, DeMar Dotson in practice. But still, he's been wrecking things on that coming from that outside linebacker position. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see this. I really am. I, I cannot wait. Yeah, guys, so we're going to move on from that. We're going to go to some of your guys' questions here. Um, there was one earlier. Mile High Robbie came in and says, have you guys heard of the Mad Fanatic? Um, most Bronco fans I know have. Uh, I have as well. Um, he's got an album or an EP coming out here soon, I think, right? Is, am I thinking of the right guy, the the rap artist from Denver that's doing the, uh, the the Broncos raps? I think that's who that is. I think that's who that is. 
Um, I see a lot of people talking about fantasy football in here. Um, Lance might be able to talk about that. There was a, there was um, a really good question here, and I'm, uh, let me see if I can find it really fast. It was about the the third cornerback position and who is going to play the third cornerback position from King Stacy here on YouTube. And James Campbell and I share a brain on this. And to me, it's going to be undrafted rookie Asang Bassi. And the reason why I say this, and this might be a little hot takey to you, Eric. The way that I've seen it coming out of training camp right now is that Bryce Callahan is playing very well on the boundary, not only in the slot, but he's playing very well out on the boundary. So and he's taking on and contesting catches against Cortland Sutton. He's contesting catches against Jerry Judy. And from what I understand, Asong Bassey is one of the only depth cornerbacks that is keeping up with Jerry Judy on a down in and down out basis in training camp. So with, with Asong Bassey getting a bunch of first team reps the last week of training camp, and playing in the slot, it would not surprise me one bit to see A.J. Bouye and Bryce Callahan on the outside with a song Bassey starting in the slot on uh, in week one. It would not surprise me at all. All right, here, here's my answer to that question. It's going to depend on who they're playing. Because against the Titans, I think that it'll be probably be more Devonta Harris and Michael Ojemudia on the outside with Callahan taking the slot. A.J. Brown, he plays the slot. He's their most dangerous receiver. You want Bryce Callahan on him. They're That's outside right. receivers. They're not that. They're. I mean, not that they're bad or anything. They're. They're just not as big of the concern. So I think that you would want the the rookie or the guy who has a lot to prove still in Devonta Harris, who he did have a good camp from everything I've heard. Of, at least ended good. Um, you want them on the outside along with AJ Boye, uh, who will probably take Corey Davis. I would assume their biggest outside receiver. And then when they throw in who's the other guy? Um, Adam Humphreys? Is that the other other receiver? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember off the top um, of my head. If they throw I, him I, in, I wouldn't be surprised then if we see um the song bossy come in and take him out. Let's see here. I'm pulling it up now. Um yeah, Adam Humphreys. So he's their other outside receiver for the most part. Um, opposite Corey Davis. So, yeah, uh, in that case, it w- would be a possibility to see Asang Bossy come in. If they go four wide and they bring in either Khalif Raymond or Cody Hollister, their other two receivers that they have, um, then it really gets tricky. Uh, so, I mean, if they go four wide with Khalif Raymond in there, you probably see um, Callahan on Brown, Bossy on Raymond, and then Humphreys by Ojemudi or Harris. Um, that's just kind of how I see it. I mean, against the Chiefs, obviously, it'd be be pretty similar, but if the team's weak spot is in the slot and they have our better receivers on the outside, um, then obviously I think a song bossy will come in in that place. And the biggest reason for that is you want, you you want Bryce Scanlon and AJ Boye against the other team's top two receivers. If they're the top two, if they're the outside guys, obviously you want them on the outside guys. Right. And then you have the issue that Michael Ojemudi and Devonta Harris, they're not slot corners. They're not guys fit to play inside. That's not where you want them. That's where a song bossy comes in. So again, it's just going to be depending on who they play in. Yeah, that's that's a good answer. I'm just I'm aboard that a song bossy hype train. I really am. It, this with everything we heard coming out of training should camp, have been drafted in the fourth round. It really should have. Uh, the the thing is, is he's small. He's what five nine, like one ninety, if that. He's and that's a very true thing. Is true thing as well as he is not a very good tackler. So it, it's a. But, um. Sorry to interrupt you again, but on that note about him being a tackle, bad tackler, um, I posted it in our group chat because I think you, Lance, and um, and James and I, we, I think the three of us were talking about this, about how um, a song bossy was effective in at least slowing them down because in college he had the second fewest yards allowed after a missed tackle, which that means that he was oh, missed a tackle. Right. He missed a tackle. But somebody else was right there to come in and break in. And it was like just uh, just over one yard. It was like 1.2 yards after he missed a tackle that the receiver ended up picking up on average. So that is a huge stat, being the second fewest in that. Just a great thing. And this is one reason why not all missed tackles are equal. Because you miss a tackle and the guy can pick up 10 yards. You miss a tackle, a guy only picks up one yards. Well, just right now, just say they have a missed tackle. It looks the same. But... Uh, 10 yards versus one yard. I mean, that's a first down compared to not. So, well, I, I mean, look at, look at, uh, before I grab Poppy really fast, look at what happened last night and in the hole. I mean, Bernardrick McKinney had Clyde Edwards Hilaire dead to rights in the hole and missed the tackle, and it turned into a 27 yard touchdown run. 
And CEH made a, a huge move on Justin Reed, too. Is a beautiful, beautiful uh, cut right there at the end of the play. But still, like, you've got to make that tackle there. Like, if you don't, if you're, if you're going to allow a missed tackle and have it turn into a 27-yard touchdown run, 25 of which was after the first missed tackle, that's a pretty bad missed tackle. If you're going to miss a guy and he's in the middle of the field and you've got somebody there to at least help clean it up or you did enough to, to slow him down, to, to get some to get that gang tackling mentality we talked about earlier, you can at least work with that. Now, Pavi coming in here. And showing hold on, real quick. I want I, I want to correct myself. Is I was actually met backwards. Um, AJ Brown actually played more out wide than uh, Humphreys did. So I, I was backwards on that. My bad, guys. So uh, yeah, that actually plays better into. Uh, so yeah, it would probably point to a song Bossy being the yeah, a song Bossy. Bobby uh, jumping in here, just showing some love with a with a very generous super chat. We appreciate you, Bobby. Go Broncos with a bunch of heart emojis. Hey, go Broncos. We appreciate you joining the show tonight, Bobby. It's good to see you back in the chats again. It really is. Um, now, Eric, we're running out of really not really topics to talk about, but I really want to kind of break down this Titans game and kind of pick your brain a little bit on. What are the biggest keys to victory for the Broncos in week one? And obviously we've got some the injury issues with the Broncos and we've got, you know, some star players that are potentially going to miss some time for at least a little bit. What is the biggest way that the Broncos, what is the biggest key to, to stopping this Titans team and the Broncos walking out of uh, Empower Field at Mile High with a victory? Stop Derrick Henry. It's, oh, it's that simple. Um, in games where he had over 100 yards rushing, um, I think the Titans won every single game. I think. Can't remember uh, if it's around the top yeah, of my head so. on that one. Um, in games where he had 75 to 99 yards rushing, he they were 3-3. Three and three. And in games where he didn't have 75 yards rushing, um, anything under that, they were winless. In games where he had over 100 yards total receiving, um, I think they had one loss there. And in games where he was 75 to 99 yards total with rushing and receiving, they were 1-4. and four. So you definitely you slow down Derrick Henry, you slow down the offense. He's the heart and blood of that team. Um, you do got to worry about AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill when he gets outside, especially on play action stuff. But part of the reason, part of the thing why you got to stop Derrick Henry is you shut down Derrick Henry. Their play action game actually struggles a little bit about with that, and th- they're one of the few teams where you do need an effective run game to have an effective passing or play action game. They're one of the few teams that are like that. For the most part, you don't. Uh, but yeah, it just comes down to stopping Derrick Henry. That's that's the that is the key. He is their franchise player on that offense. You stole every point directly out of my mouth. You really did because I was about to say, you know, you and I have been sl- like slamming on the table about how you don't have to have an effective running game to have an effective play action passing game. You can actually do the opposite and have an effective play action passing game to help open up your running game. You know, so the the Broncos doing that with Peyton Manning for what three or four years, where Peyton Manning just making it seem like it's always going to be a run and then dropping back, and you knew he's throwing the football. It's still didn't matter. He's drawing the linebackers in because it looks like a run. The Titans, they have that, they have that guy, Derrick Henry, and the way that he runs between the tackles and running guys over, your linebackers are going to inch forward just a little bit closer, and they're going to get a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And then this is where Ryan Tannehill does his best work, and that's in the play-action passing game. He completed right at 70% of his passes last year total, but when it jumped to play-action, when they got the linebackers moving forward, that fake handoff play-action pass, he jumped a 79% completion percentage, guys, 79%. That's insane. And it seemed – and we talked about this earlier today in the group chat with James – it seemed like every time that they were going play action, they were hitting AJ Brown on a deep shot over the middle of the field, and he was taking it to the house. Like this is that's the biggest key is obviously limit Derrick Henry as best as you possibly can, but you have to make Ryan Tannehill beat you on the boundary. Don't let him get you on the inside, the middle of the field, because AJ Brown does a very good job breaking some tackles, kind of slippery with the ball in his hands, and he's explosive after the catch, guys. So you have to get rid of AJ Brown in the passing game, make him work to the outside, make Brian Tannehill work to the boundaries. And obviously the big, the, one of the easiest ways to win defensively is force turnovers. And Ryan Tannehill is susceptible to, to throw in interceptions when he has to work outside of the numbers. So th- that to me is the biggest key, at least defensively. Now, offensively, I'm scared of Jeffrey Simmons, but the rest of that defensive line doesn't necessarily fear me. Um, I, I've, I'm not so sure. I know they got Harold Landry. I don't remember their other edge rusher as well. So maybe on Clowney. 
Oh, that's right. Jadeveon Clowney. That's right. And that's another big key here is making sure that Jadeveon Clowney, I forgot about that. Jadeveon Clowney doesn't blow up this, this, uh, this passing attack for the Broncos. And that was actually a key that I wanted to make earlier. A key point I wanted to make earlier was one of the biggest reasons why Jadeveon Clowney actually signed with the Titans was to reunite with Mike Rabel, who was the defensive coordinator in 2017 with the Houston Texans. He's now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. He knows the scheme. He can come in and play week one. And that's a, the way that they actually used Jadeveon Clowney at, in Houston, the way they moved him around the formation, that's kind of scary to me. I'm not sure that he's going to be in football shape exactly 100% and ready to go, but a freak athlete like that with the length, the strength, the power, and everything that he possesses coming off the edge, he could be a problem. He can be a big problem there. So run away from Jeffrey Simmons, run away from Jadevian and Clowney, and, and get, the quick play, uh, get the quick passing game going with Jerry Judy in the slot. Yeah, for my key for the Broncos offense is going to be attack those linebackers. They're, suscept- they're susceptible in coverage a little bit. Yeah. You have no offense. With Cortland Sutton likely out for the game, I think this would be a good time to use a little bit more two tight end sets, move Fant out to the slot. Um, Jerry Judy out wide, I mean, I know that's not ideal for him, but you can still be very effective there. And you can use Tim Patrick or Tyree Cleveland or even KJ Hamler to sit there and just take the top off the defense, put strain on the safeties, and just attack those linebackers. But you got to be careful of um, Byard. Kevin Byard. Kevin Byard. Kevin Byard. And this dude is he he is the really he's the one piece on defense that really scares me. Yeah. I mean, obviously Jeffrey Simmons, he's really good at what he is. He's got a lot what he does, he's got a lot of potential. But he missed some time last year. He came back pretty decently well. Uh, well he, he missed time. He's, he's, he's gonna be facing up against he's gonna be facing up against Graham Glasgow and Dalton Reisner. Yeah. And I, I'm I have confidence in them being able to not necessarily shut him down, but limit his impact in it. Bayard though is it, it, that really falls on Drew Locke. And with only five games with what I saw of Drew Locke when I was doing my breakdowns of him last year, and even again just a couple weeks ago, um, he, he doesn't always look the safety off, which that is very concerning with Bayard back in, back deep. But, yeah, tack those, tack those linebackers. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. They also have another really good safety in Kenny Vaccaro as well. So um, Adoree Jackson on the outside at cornerbacks, pretty good. I uh, don't remember the other cornerback. I didn't do a whole lot of work on Tennessee, honestly, just because I was so busy doing my own work with coaching my <laughs> my fifth and sixth grade football team. We won twenty to nothing last night, by the way, which was awesome. Uh, Chris Fernandez jumping in here on super chat. Uh, great questions and info. Don't leave before you hashtag. Click those little thumbs up. Thank you, Chris, for the for the reminder. We will always appreciate you, buddy. Uh, and Brian Greenfield jumping in on Super Chat as well. Was so excited for this season in less than two weeks. Wait, was so excited for this season and less than two weeks, so disappointed and expectations so low now. Now, I'm sorry after, to hear that, Brian. I, I'm sorry to hear that as well, Brian, but I'm kind of not necessarily standing right beside you. Right beside you, I might be probably three or four rows over in the bleachers, but at the same time, my expectations dropped a lot. You lose Von Miller, and that was a big key. That was a big key for this defense to me, and to see Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, we were robbed of that two years in a row. Now we we were robbed of seeing Batman and Robin, and it's, it's unclear which one is which. But Von Miller and Bradley Chubb coming off the edge and losing Von Miller this year, Bradley Chubb not being 100% to start the season, it does drop my expectations. And honestly, that's that's a big reason why in our Mile High Huddle roundtable piece that you should be out now. If not, it should be out here in just a little it's bit. Spoiler alert. Okay, so it's out now. I do have the Broncos losing to the Titans 23-17. to just because I have questions now about the Broncos to be able to stop the run against Derrick Henry and to get after the passer. Um, but uh, – with Cortland Sutton going down, I'm not necessarily worried about that. But I think that it, it might take just a little bit for the Broncos to get their defense back into key, and especially with the depth at the edge right now. Um, it, it does make me lower my win total for the Broncos. I thought 10-6, and 11-5 was achievable. I think now 9-7 and seven is about the ceiling for this team. I really do. And they, they're a fringe playoff team at this point. But with Von Miller in tow, that's a, that's a big loss, and it could – it could kick the Broncos out of the playoffs. Really could. My thing is, is I know Von Miller has been great for so many years, but he wasn't last year. Father Time seemed to be catching up to him. I know he had the change of attitude and everything, but we just we don't know how how much that really was going to change his play on the field. We saw what Denver did last year with less proven talent than they have now to replace Bradley Chubb. 
They yeah. had a rookie in Malik Reed, and they had the new addition in Jeremiah Tauchu, and they had a rookie in Justin Hollins. They had a lot less to work with to replace Bradley Chubb than they do Von Miller now. I mean, at least Malik Reed and um, Jeremiah Tauchu, they've had an ex- have experience in this scheme. They know this scheme, and they know their role. And in the case of Malik Reed, he's really stepped up. I'm not I, – and I'm not saying you are, Brian, but I don't get why people are so down on the Broncos this year. Um, I get that Miller is a big loss to it, but we've seen them before cover for the loss of a great pass rusher. Yeah. Yep. It happened last year. Yep. It sucks. Don't get me wrong. I really wanted to see Miller and Chubb out there and Casey too. Yeah. Putting those two with a great interior pass rusher be, uh, between them and Draymond Jones stepping up. Like, man, I was super excited for that. Now I'd say that, I, I do think that my expectations for them, they did drop a little bit, but it's not like catastrophically low. I, I'm kind of with you. I think like maybe one game less a win this or one win less this season. That might be it. But, and I, I'm just not seeing like this team going from potential playoff team to like top 10 pick or anything like that. I'm not seeing no, that with a lot no, of Don no. Miller. This is a guy, Father Time's catching up to him. He looked slower last year. He wasn't as quick with his get off. Um, there's been rumors about him in conflict between him and Vic Fangio. There's been rumors about him not liking how Vic Fangio does the week during practices and stuff like that, and him wanting out and all this other stuff. So I'm just not sure that that's a, uh, a – I don't think it's as big of a loss as being made out to be. And that's not me trying to be optimistic. Um, but, yeah, I just don't – I don't think the season's over per se. And I did talk – I also mentioned about how Malik Reed and um, Jeremiah Toucher, they have this – Draymond Jones, he does as well. Shelby Harris, he does as well. Mike Purcell, he does as well. A lot of this defense, they have that experience that you want in the scheme where they didn't last year covering for Bradley Chubb. Yeah, that's very true. And James actually coming in here, and he wants my take on if the Broncos are uh, better suited and better built to weather the storm of losing Bond more this year than losing Chubb last year. And I, I actually agree with that. And I kind of kind of stated to that with just the alignment right now. With with Von Miller last year, obviously you're not taking Von Miller off the field. And to, to flip him to the other side of the field, I thought the Broncos should have probably done that, and especially after watching uh, Malik Reed struggle. But why would you take – one strength or take two strengths and then one weakness and then make it a second weakness by moving another player that's so good at what he does. Malik Reed now filling in for Von Miller. I'd rather have that there. And I'm kind of intrigued to see what this Isaiah Irving kid that the Broncos brought into on their practice squad. Sounds like he might potentially get called up. Um, but with Malik Reed better suited to play that Von Miller role than he was the Bradley Chubb role in the defense for last year, obviously Jeremiah Tauchu is going to see some time as well. Um, it, it was scary at first to me, and especially because there's no depth pieces behind those guys. And if Chubb is not full go and not capable of playing, there's nothing to work with behind unless you want to move a Draymond Jones as well. I do think the Broncos are better suited to to weather the storm right now in the, at least in the immediate future. And I don't think that the Broncos are done, at least at bringing somebody in. Now, yeah. We can, um, we can argue that all we want to as far as bringing in a veteran, making a trade. Uh, we obviously know the Clay Matthews news from from earlier the, the earlier this week about how the Broncos made an offer and he said no and, and whatever. You can hash that out at the time. But the Broncos now, after week one, they have the, the capability of going out and signing a veteran, not having all of his, his salary guaranteed. So I think the Broncos right now with where they're at, they are probably better suited to, to go forward without Von Miller. And as you said, Vic Fangio's defenses, especially in the secondary, the coverage linebackers, uh, the safeties, they take a big step in year two. And, and so – as much as it sucks to lose Von Miller and as much as it sucks because I thought he was going to be great this year, it, it it's not nearly as – and it took me about 24 to 48 hours to really think this through and kind of get the shock value out of it. Losing Von Miller is not going to be nearly as big of a blow to the Broncos as losing Bradley Chubb was last year because they got the guys that can actually fit the, fit the scheme and take over for that loss. Yeah. Before we get out of here, there's one thing I want to talk about. But before I get to that, a couple things. Facebook user, not sure who you are. Sorry about that. Um, as for our score predictions, you can check them out at milehighhuddle.com. Our roundtable is up there that has our score predictions. I can't remember what mine is. Otherwise, I'd just tell you. That 23-17 uh, Titans. That's what he had. I can't remember mine. I know I had Denver winning. Um, I, I don't know. And actually, Buona Beast actually put the, the link for that in the chat here. And then... There was one more I, question here I wanted to see. I wanted to grab. 
Um, somebody asked if um, Isaiah Wilson's playing for the Titans this, this week. No, he's on the reserve thing. We can't say list. And Ch- and then um, some Dylan Von Hart says he hopes he signed Todd back after week one. Uh, I don't think that oh, that'll happen. It, no, I, from everything I've heard is that it was an agreement that they'll part ways. So I, I think that bridge was burned. There is one more thing that I want to say here really fast before we shut this thing down. It, it It's another one. Let's see here. Eclipse coming in here on Super Chat, $8 donation. Thanks, Eclipse. We appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> Happy Friday, divers and family. Uh, apologies for my tardiness. Just checking in. Got to say my man, never fickle on the nickel. Big pickle, Eric Trickle. And I say that flawlessly <laughs> every time. Uh, thanks, man. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, even though you are late, we're getting ready to shut this down. Now, one thing I do want to say here. The Broncos lost Bradley Chubb last year, and that was a big blow to their team. But they were very close. There it is. James Campbell coming in here. Uh, 31-13 for Eric. The Broncos winning. Uh, anyways, the Broncos were very close. <laughs> yeah. The, the Broncos <laughs> were very close last year to being a playoff team as it were with, with Joe Flacco starting, with Brandon Allen starting. They were a couple of a couple of uh, blown uh, blown penalty calls, uh bounces uh, the ball bounced the wrong way from being like a 10-win team last year. Let's see. The, you've got the Bears game. Where they had a, a bad, uh, a bad roughing the passer call against Bradley Chubb. You had the Jaguars game where they allowed the Jaguars to go down the field. Had a bad, uh, another bad penalty there. The the Colts game, the Vikings game. Those games the Broncos should have won. Those are all games the Broncos should have won last year. They're seven and nine last year. You flip the script on that. They're they're eleven and five, and they're a playoff team solidly in the playoffs. So losing Von Miller this year, and now you've got guys that can actually capably take take a uh, take a hold of those roles. Losing Von Miller might not be as bad uh, as big of a deal to the Broncos because they were already very good last year. They were already a fringe playoff team as it is, and now you've got a quarterback in Drew Locke that has offensive weaponry to throw the football to. This offense is going to look a lot better, especially in the first five and six weeks. Like, yeah, nine and seven sounds like a like a bad take, but at the same time. That this Broncos team could still very well make the playoffs. They still very well could win eleven games this year. Yeah, and before we get out of here, just something I want to talk about, and it's something that I saw yesterday, and it angered me. Um, <laughs> for those of you that follow me on Twitter, you guys know that I have been very open about my mental health issues that I have and have had over the years. And when I saw that Skip Bayless decided to sit there and talk about how Dak Prescott isn't a leader because he's being open about his mental health, I was very enraged. And there's just so many issues that derive from that. The, what he is enabling with people, there's a lot of people, the toxic masculinity in this country, in this world even, where mental health for men isn't normalized. It's often frowned upon. It's something that I've dealt with. I don't want. I don't often find myself wanting to open up about it. Well, at least didn't. Because it's just, it's not normalized. I, I remember one time when I was in school, I wanted to talk about it with somebody and I was made fun of, which that didn't help my mental health issues at all. Um, so seeing Skip Bayless and understand that I under, and I understand anyways, that he made his career off of hot takes, being controversial, all that jazz. But there comes a point to a line that you don't cross. And talking about somebody who is being open about his mental health and saying that he can't lead the team because he's having these issues is just, it's, it's asinine. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's so problematic. And I can't even, it's hard to fully express how problematic what he said it really is. And what stri- what makes this issue even worse is his apology today. His <laughs> yeah. apology was basically, I'm sorry you misunderstood what I said. Now, I've had to apologize many times in my life. I've had to apologize to Lance for something earlier today and apologize to Nick all the time and often ap- apologizing because of the mental health issues that I deal with. Saying that you are sorry because somebody else misunderstood what you said is not an apology. <laughs> it is you are placing the blame on somebody else. Skip. I, 
it's in it's a shame and i'm extremely disappointed in whatever network he works for i think it's fsn yeah that he was not held accountable yeah yeah it was a very disappointing conversation to say the least on both sides skip skip first but shannon as well for not shutting that down and and ah that was so bad so bad all right anyways guys that's going to do it for us today on the dub valley deep divers podcast you guys can follow us both on twitter by finding me at sanderson mhh and for eric at eric trickle uh find the show at dvdd underscore pod and sorry also for those of you out there that are dealing with mental health issues there's the suicide national prevention hotline if you are thinking about ending it please reach out to them they are a tremendous help to them and one of the things that irks me the most about Skip Bayless making these comments is that this is Suicide Prevention Awareness Week, and he had the gall to make these comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all there needs to be said about that. Anyways, uh, follow the show, guys, at DVDD underscore Pod. Uh, it's the easiest way to keep yourself in tune with what's going on with the Dove Valley Deep Divers. Uh, follow at Mile High Huddle for instant news and analysis, uh, breaking news, film articles. Uh, opinion articles like the stuff I've got going on with ranking the AFC West. Uh, that's the, the easiest way to stay in touch with everything regarding your Denver Broncos. If you guys are in a financial position, uh, head on over to huddleuppod.com, get your hat, get yourself a t-shirt. Uh, there's a face mask, coffee cup, hoodie. There's baby gear. I've got a onesie order for my, uh, for Caven, my one month old son. Uh, we need the tie. I, we need a tie. We really do need a tie. Um, but it, it, anything that suits your fancy, guys, head on over to huddleuppod.com. Get your swag on. Um, if you're not financially able of doing so, the three things that everybody should be doing is subscribe wherever you're watching this, on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live, um, on YouTube After the Fact, Twitch, Twitter, anywhere you guys get your podcast, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you guys see. Click those little thumbs up, as Chris Hernandez likes to say. And if you love it, Share it. Share it to everybody in Broncos country. Get as many fans as we can Join, uh, joining in onto, onto our live streams and, and joining in the conversation. It's a great way to have fun. Uh, we love doing this. This is the, the highlight of my week. Even after Eric and I had our disagreement earlier today, I said I want to still do the show and I want to I want to come on because this is the way that I get away from my real life. And you guys make everything possible. If it weren't for you guys, our Mile High Huddle community, we wouldn't be able to do what we do, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, Eric, before we get out of here, any last words, buddy? Yeah, actually, I have a couple of them. Justin Statler says, yo, you, Eric and Lance. Yes! Our heart, let's you, Eric go. and Lance, let's go right. Hey, man, as soon as I get out the chat, I'm jumping on Pokemon Go. Um, so, yeah, if you see any Rays, man, feel free to send me an invite. And if That's I see true. any, I'll definitely send Shoot you one. Shoot me that invite. I'm in tonight. I am in. And um, also, I am so ready for – no offense, guys. I'm ready to be done with this. And go to bed and everything because I'm super excited to get out on the ocean tomorrow and go fishing. Yeah. Um, not something I do very often. I'm not a big outdoorsy person, um, but man, I'm just super excited. The whales are coming in, as I said, just the sightseeing. I'll definitely take some pictures, post them on Twitter. So as he said earlier, make sure you're following me if you want to see some amazingly beautiful pictures of Alaska and potentially sea life, maybe some otters, some whales, stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It, shoot me those in a private message because I want them all. <laughs> but uh, anyways, guys. That is going to do it for us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You all stay safe. Have a great and safe weekend. Say I love you to everybody you guys see. Give each other a hug. Pat each other on the back and give each other a high five as often as you can, especially today. We will see you all next week, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. You all stay safe. Take care. Have a great weekend. See you later. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.